As cute as it is to uh, watch children struggle through the temptation of instant gratification, uh, temptation really is no laughing matter, is it? It's a reality in our culture, in our world, in our lives. Temptation uh, reigns supreme in some of our situations, in some of our seasons and moments of temptation uh, would be an embarrassment to put on a screen before our friends and our peers We're confronted by temptation daily at work, at home, at school, and everywhere in between. Temptations to lie, to cheat, to steal, to lust, to brag, and countless other ways. And as we've been doing over the past several weeks, we're going to point out that temptation is a fault line. We're going to place temptation into the same category that we've been studying uh, over the past couple of weeks, and we're going to realize that temptation as a fault line is an opportunity for us to experience growth as Christians. And we're going to look at some basics of temptation, and I hope some some observations for us will bring to light the realities of what temptation is and that we can grow to answer some questions about it, about where it comes from, about why we are so vulnerable as human beings, and most importantly, how we as believers can and should overcome temptation. Look with me at a familiar passage of Jesus' temptation. We're going to look at Matthew's gospel, though it appears in the others. Matthew chapter 4, the first 11 verses. If you'll follow along as I read, this is important. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, again I ask for your rich blessing upon the reading and the application of your word. Would you so infill us with a desire this morning to live holy lives that we would take to heart the realities of your word that are ours if we would grasp them. Challenge us. Keep us in your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start this morning. After reading this passage of Scripture and after uh, watching that introductory uh, video, let's, let, let's begin at the beginning. Let's talk about temptations and some uh, observations. These are uh, necessary, simple observations about temptation. We have to answer the question, where does temptation come from? And the, uh, the first observation I want us to have together is that Satan is the tempter. 
Uh, We see it in the reality of this scripture. We have to understand it as a, a core understanding of who we are as Christian men and women. We have to understand that the enemy's goal, the enemy's attempts, the enemy's job is really temptation. And let there be no question amongst us in any one of our minds this morning who it is that does the tempting. Uh, Temptation has been manufactured. It's been made in hell since the beginning. Since Adam and Eve were first on the scene, Genesis chapter 3 gives us this this intimate understanding of this involvement of temptation as the story continues. The enemy initially planted doubt in Eve's mind and the devil then, he, he twists God's words to further escalate the situation. Remember, specifically in Genesis chapter 3, uh, the enemy comes to Eve in verse 1 and he said, Did God really say to you, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? If you read this passage of scripture, if you study just this first part of Genesis, uh, we see the impact of the devil's twisting of words here. Because what God actually said in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, is that you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So the enemy plants doubts in Eve's mind. Then he twists God's words in an attempt to have Eve fall to temptation. He is a wicked manufacturer of temptation. And after planning doubt and twisting God's words, the devil contradicted what God said and tempts Eve to partake of the fruit of the tree. Eve does so and persuades her mate to join her. There may be some confusion in our midst this morning. There may be some broken theology within any part of God's church this morning that would allow us to buy into this idea that God tempts us. This is simply not true. The enemy is the tempter. The devil will seek to destroy us in any way he can. The author of temptation is the devil. God has never and will never tempt any of us. James chapter 1 is on the screen. It gives us this reminder, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. The author of temptation is the enemy. This leads us to our second observation. The second truth this morning is that no one is immune from temptation. We see this pictured in our story this morning. Having the Holy Spirit does not, nece- uh, does not allow us a, a, a worry-free, temptation-free lifestyle. Contrary, the first verse of Matthew chapter 4 states that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, some translations have tried to clear that up a little bit and tried to give us a a, a safer wording there. But the truth is, the, the, the Holy Spirit allows us to experience temptation. The Holy Spirit, God by himself, does not give us temptation, but the Holy Spirit allows the enemy to tempt us. 
And if God in flesh, if Jesus Christ himself faced temptation, you and I, each one of us, can experience, can expect to experience much the same. The Apostle Paul throughout the New Testament is somewhat famous for admitting his temptations and admitting his falling to temptations. He also warns all Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to fear the same opportunity. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Sometimes we need the reminder of this reality. We think somehow uh, that we've been built up strong enough within the church family, within our, uh, our corporate uh, uh, upbringing, within the church walls, that we think, oh, temptation is not something I have to deal with. So temptation is not something uh, that's going to come my way, and that is foolish thinking. Paul's warning here is a clear reminder that we are all forever susceptible to the enemy's ways while we are upon this earth. It's the reality of the fallen, sinful world in which we live. So Satan is the tempter. None of us is immune from temptation. And the third observation is that there is a kingdom comparison within uh, each of these instances of temptation. The devil consistently uses the world's economy to tempt us. I think most of us acknowledge that God's will is perfect. That God's plan for humanity since the beginning was perfection. He gave us a world that is unmatched. No water flowing on Mars is going to achieve what God has given us. And yet because of the fallen nature of sin, because we chose to sin, we have forever been susceptible to a sinful lifestyle. Uh, The broken nature of the world because of sin uh, creates a a reality that nothing is perfect in this world. And yet God's will, God himself, is holy and pleasing and desires from us as we read the pages of Scripture, as we experience his presence in our lives, he wants us to be like him. God is always calling us to a higher level. God is always calling us to be holy as he is holy. And yet this kingdom mindset, this broken nature of this world is something that the enemy uses continually to bring us away from God's standard. If God's desire is for us to experience his perfection, the enemy's desire is for us to experience momentary bliss, momentary satisfaction, a taste of God's perfect creation. And like Eve, we fall for it. Like Eve, we accept this temporary fix on a heavenly reality. We think we can take matters into our own hands and we fall for this kingdom comparison. The enemy knows the perfection of God's heaven. The enemy knows the perfection of God's will and he will every time seek to distort the human kingdom, the reality of this world, and distort it in such a way to put it on a similar level of God's perfection. He did it with Eve. 
He tried to tell her that she wouldn't experience what God said she would experience. God just doesn't want her to experience this knowledge. And he tempted her with telling her she could be like God. And she fell for it. And we fall for it with the kingdom comparison. We fall to these temptations that the world pitches our way. The world sells us this bill of goods that says, oh, you can experience some of what God intended you to experience right here, right now, in this way, or $9.99 a month, or whatever the pitch is to us today. You can experience health and wealth and perfection if you only bow to me. If you'll only. The enemy, the tempter, will continuously seek to wriggle us away from God's holy perfection by offering us a temporary fix on a heavenly reality. Satan is the tempter. No one is immune from temptation. There is a a kingdom comparison at stake every chance we have of being tempted. But there's good news. An observation of temptation is that there is always a way out. There's always a way out. Temptation is the truth, but God always provides a way of escape. Another passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are, When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Did you ever say as a kid, the devil made me do it? Yeah, whoever just laughed, you said that yesterday, right? (laughs) Not as a kid. That phrase is so familiar within our culture. We say, oh, I I, I felt a temptation. The devil, he, he made me do it. I had no choice. I chose to do wrong because the devil made me do it. Christian, Bible-believing peers, friends, family, we don't have that excuse. Yes, the enemy, the devil, will seek to tempt us away from God's perfection, but God has promised a way out of every instance, no matter how narrow the window, no matter how difficult the choice will and has been, we have an opportunity before us every time temptation becomes a reality to choose holiness, to choose God's perfect will, to run from temptation, as Joseph exampled, to run away and run towards what God has. The devil will tempt us to do it, but God will always give us a way out. No matter how narrow, there's always a way out of succumbing to temptation. So these are the observations about temptation. These are the reality. Before we even get into this passage of Scripture, we we have to start at a, a base level of understanding that temptation is real. That the enemy is the tempter, the author of temptation. That none of us is immune from the 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 will of the devil to get us to fall away. That there's always a kingdom comparison, that it's always the world versus God, and that there's always a way out. But there are four more observations, specifically from Jesus' 
temptation that I know are important for us as we learn to apply them to our lives, we can experience victory in our life. Look with me at these four observations about Jesus' temptation specifically. The first is exhaustion. As we've read this morning, Jesus' temptation takes place when he was physically exhausted and hungry. Matthew 4, 2 says, After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was what? Starving, right? I paraphrase. Jesus was hungry. Can you imagine the exhaustion of 40 days without the basic necessities of life? In my personal experience, and in many of my pastoral counseling interactions, seasons and moments of giving into temptation can be traced back to physical exhaustion or putting oneself in the path of temptation consistent with one's weakness. This is a no-brainer for the enemy to seek to destroy us. Uh, we, we talk about the enemy hitting us when we're down, right? This is his way. This is what we need to be aware of. This is those red flags for us as believers pursuing holiness. We have to acknowledge that this is one of his tactics. And in a culture that celebrates hard work over a time, uh, overachieving, it's no wonder that falling to temptation is the norm rather than the exception in our world. In my own life, I can unfortunately point to some specific pastors and peers that I've personally looked up to. I've placed them on pedestals, wrongly, yes, who have found themselves unwilling to resist temptation in the area specifically of sexual sin, oftentimes resulting from that ministry burnout or physical exhaustion. We have long since acknowledged the fact that the enemy will seek to find a foothold in any one of our weaknesses. Or when we are not at our best, the enemy will seek any opportunity to slip us up in our pursuit of holiness. This observation here of Jesus is that the enemy pursued him in a moment, in a season of exhaustion. And the enemy will pursue us in those moments, in those weaknesses that we experience in this life. Friends, there is something so obvious that if a specific area of our life is a weakness for us, why we in our humanity seek to go back to it is a foolish part of our nature. When we are exhausted, when we are mentally weak, when we are physically under the weather, we need to be on our game. We need to acknowledge that the enemy is seeking for an opportunity to fill us with doubt, to fill us with a dangerous temptation, and we are susceptible The second observation this morning about Jesus' temptation are are Satan's uh, if-then statements. Did you see them this morning as we read the scripture? Now, each of Jesus' three temptations here involved the devil using some sort of a combination of uh, an if-then statement. The first two are the same. He says, if you're the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. If you're the son of God, the second one, then throw yourself down from this point. 
And the third one is this. If you'll bow down to me, the enemy says, then I'll give you all of the kingdoms of this world. Each of these statements, each of these if-thens appeal to the identity of who Jesus really is. You see how the enemy seeks to uh, uh, pursue this avenue with Jesus, God in flesh, fully human and fully God. He seeks to ask him a question that will allow him to process who he really is. If you're the son of God, he is the son of God. God himself opened the heavens at his point of baptism. Jesus knows his identity. God himself says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Before this interaction, Jesus knows who he is. Likewise, the Bible, God's holy word, gives us many names that approach our identity. Right? We sing songs and talk about who we are in Christ Jesus. We acknowledge who we are as sons and daughters and friends of God. And yet we forget, don't we? We forget our identity and the the devil seeks to distract us from who we are and we put that true identity on a shelf and we forget it, we put it behind us and we settle for something second best. The Bible gives us names that are clear about our identity. Ephesians, specifically, we're told that God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14 says, uh, marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a despot guaranteeing our inheritance. We have an identity in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared us to do. God's handiwork in this room. Ephesians 2.19, we are fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Verse 22, we are the very dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We know our identity. We claim our identity when the going gets rough, right? The storm is hitting. God, I want to be found in you. God, I want to be sheltered in your loving arms. But man, when things are going good, the illustration, we take back over the wheel, right? We let God drive when the road's bumpy. But then we take back over and temptation hits and we forget our identity for a moment. We forget whose we are. Like Eve, we are tempted to not believe God's truthful word, word, that he has the best plan for us. And again, we take matters into our own hands and we partake of the fruits of this world forsaking God's perfect plan for the enemy's short-lived version, most often with horrific consequences. Pastor Steve Deneff writes this paragraph. We do not know who we are, so we act like someone else. And the person we imitate is always less than the person we truly are. If we could only remember who we are and what is available to us because of our identity as a child of God, we would be more prone to act like it. Our identity in Jesus Christ is so much more valuable than we give thought. 
we revert back, unfortunately, to the get-out-of-jail-free card. We think our identity in Christ Jesus only secures us in eternity with him. God has so much more planned for us that even in the temptation of this world, we can experience holiness. We can experience victory. Freedom from sin is not just forgiveness from sin, friends. The good news is that we can win. The next observation of Jesus is exactly that. Victory is possible. Jesus overcame temptation. Oh, but he was Jesus. Right? He was Jesus. He, he's, he's God. Of course he overcame temptation. He, he's, he's God. This again is a broken theology within the church of Jesus Christ. We, we forget that God is in flesh in the form of Jesus and that he is fully man and scripture is clear that Jesus is fully humanity here. And he suffered through these temptations as an example to you and me that there's not just a way out that a few people can select occasionally, but that each of us can walk through that door of a way out and experience victory over temptation. In Jesus' example, he thwarts the enemy's tricks and temptations by quoting and obeying Scripture. Do you see the distinction there? Do you see that Jesus isn't simply using uh, Scripture as a magical potion in this instance? Uh, Jesus isn't simply uh, stating a sentence and using it as this this opportunity to uh, remove all temptation. Jesus is quoting and he is living by the truth of Scripture. Again, Steve Deneff writes this wonderfully. You've got to hear this. It's not enough. For us to merely quote scriptures when we are tempted, we must learn to believe the scriptures before we are tempted, until they become for us the best descriptor of the way things are. It does no good for me to say, man does not live by bread alone unless one truly believes that the Lord will provide, or that his compassions are new every morning. Scripture is not a lucky charm to keep the devil away. Rather, it is a lens through which we see our lives in the world. It's a way of defining reality. The more we grasp Scripture's narrative, the wisdom, and the penetrating truth, the more easily we will see through the lies of temptation. If you listen to that, there should be an amen on your breath. Scripture is not a magical book of Right things to say. Yes, we've heard illustrations of people spinning to a page, pointing. God has used that in some amazing context, but that's not the purpose of Scripture. This word of God is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Not a magic book. Not something you should wait for a pastor to give you on a Sunday morning. Not something we should hope to hear on the radio as the only form of influence over our life. This should be our starting point. This should be a direction for our life. This should be the thing our families turn to in all seasons of life. Paul, to the church at Ephesus, refers to the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit. This book as a sword, I mean, when I was a kid... 
and children's church and Sunday school, I couldn't wait to act like this was a real sword. Hitting my sisters, trying to cut them. It's a sword of the Spirit. If you've ever, if you've ever discussed game strategy or, or, or war strategy or football strategy, you've heard uh, the phrase before that the best defense is a good... Yeah. You know the phrase, the best defense is a good offense, and the sword of the Spirit is our best defense because it is our offense. If the enemy, if we can acknowledge, if we will admit that the enemy will seek to destroy us through temptation, if he will seek to just open the door a little bit to influence us with doubt, if he will just seek to give us just a little bit, we, friends, can use the truth of God's word to thwart the enemy's attacks. We must be men and women, boys and girls, that use this weapon that we've been given by God himself as more than just a casual book, more than just a placeholder on the shelf. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 119.11 that hiding the word of God in our hearts protects us from giving into temptation and yielding to sin. Hiding God's word in our heart, using it in those moments of distress. In closing, the fourth observation of Jesus' temptation specifically is that he was refreshed at the close of his temptation. After he overcame temptation, it's very subtle in Scripture. Verse 11 says, The devil left him, and angels came and attended him. I believe as we look at the story of Jesus, and as we look at the history of our own lives, or the history of many others through Scripture, as they experience temptation, as they overcome the temptation, there is refreshment. Uh, There is strength given after winning in temptation. Maybe, maybe as a fault line, God allows us to experience these moments and these seasons of temptation. He allows us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He allows us to experience life's storms. He allows us to experience this world's corruption and the enemy's way as a way of you and me gaining muscle strength. Maybe, just maybe, God has promised to be with us through the storm, through the temptation, through the junk of life. Not so that we can simply suck our thumbs and try to find a way through, but so that we can achieve victory in Him. That's good news, friends. That's great news. In a world that just tries to get by, that just wants to make it through tomorrow. Have you ever had that attitude? You've been sick this week? I just want to get through the day. I said on the phone this morning, I'm just trying to make it till 8 o'clock when I can turn on the game tonight. If I can just get to it, right? That's our norm. We just want to make it. We just want to get in. We just want to achieve what we think is enough. And God says, phooey. It's in the Greek. (laughs) If I say it with that kind of tone, it must be true. God says, I have so much more for you. 
We can't simply look at Jesus' temptation and say, that was good for him, that was Jesus. He wants us to win over the enemy. We can, with the power of the Holy Spirit, win over the enemy. The promise is not a life free of temptation. The promise is not a magical potion that keeps us from giving in. The promise is, however, the helper. God's Holy Spirit to be with us through the storm, through the temptation, through life's difficulty. The promise is that as we learn to fight temptation, as we experience those wins in our life, we will continue to grow in His strength. We will continue to grow in His holiness. We will continue to realize our true identity as children of the Most High God, co-heirs with Jesus. Christian, this morning, remember your identity in Jesus. Remember whose you are. Remember who he is and the power we have through him. Would you bow your heads with me? Temptation is one of those bad words in church, right? It's one of those things we don't want to talk about. (laughs) Some of you are like, oh boy, I don't know what life group's going to be like this week talking about this one. But temptation's a reality of every one of us. The enemy can and does seek to destroy. Wriggling his way into our hearts, into our lives, spreading doubt and danger. The reality is all of us will face temptation maybe multiple times a day. But this morning I, I pray that each of us will acknowledge our identity, our position as children of the Most High God, joint heirs, co-heirs with Jesus, and experience His grace as we traverse life's way and the enemy's attacks, and the dangers around each corner. And that we would experience victory. If this morning, if this morning you would trust me as one of your pastors to pray for you specifically, not out loud, but with all of our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you would say, if you would admit that any form of temptation is prevalent in your world right now, And you would ask me to pray specifically for you this week. Would you just simply raise your hand? Thank you, thank you. You're raising your hand and acknowledging that temptation is a reality. And that you are asking for the Holy Spirit all across this place, friends. Your friends and family members, your peers, we're acknowledging temptation as a reality. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Let's pray. Jesus, it is you who gives us the strength we need. We find solace and rest in knowing that you are our strength. We don't find the strength often on our own to do much of anything. And so we rest in the knowledge that it is you and yours. And we ask for you to fill us again. Help us to resist the enemy. Help us to learn in this one of life's fault lines that you are helping us through. We praise you. We ask for you, Lord, to bless each person that has raised their hand this morning. We ask for you, Lord, to meet every single need that was verified this morning. And we pray for your spirit to win in us as we find victory over temptation. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.